0: Well, again, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Aaron Foster, and I have the pleasure of serving here on our family team, specifically with our high school community. Uh, it's always a pleasure to worship together with you, and truly an honor today to be able to open and share the Scripture with you. If you're here for the first time again, we hope you feel the hospitality of the Holy Spirit as you are a part of this community today. And if you are here for the thousandth time or anywhere in between, thank you so much for allowing the Lord to use you to make this community what it is. Well, last week we kicked off a new series entitled At the Movies, and in which we are going to be delving into the faith themes of three different films throughout the month of August. Guest teacher and grandson of our founding pastor, Dr. Art Bamford, began this discussion last week by outlining the importance that Scripture places on story. Stories, both biblical and otherwise, can be used to spread the message of Jesus Christ in powerful ways. In fact, because the biblical narrative is so compelling and engaging, writers and filmmakers often use that format to create the stories that have become so popular in our culture. So throughout these next weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the recently popular stories from the film industry to see how they can interact with Scripture um, in a way that can challenge us in our walk with Jesus Christ. And as Lisa mentioned earlier, the film that we're going to be looking at today is the 2018 Marvel Studios superhero film, The Black Panther. Uh, The Academy Award-winning film received much praise from critics for its production, its direction, its writing, design, casting, everything, and really it's been the only superhero movie out of what feels like 100 released in the last 10 years, but it's been the only one that's been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. More prominently even, it's received praise for its significance in culture as it offers a powerful representation of black heroes, actors and actresses directors and producers in a society and industry that's often skewed the opposite direction. Black Panther gives us opportunity to see and engage a broader picture of God's beautiful created humanity in our popular culture today. And aside from the the cultural importance, Black Panther is just an awesome movie. I'm admittedly not one of the biggest superhero movie fans, but Black Panther is definitely on my favorites list over the last couple years. For those of you who have not yet had the pleasure of seeing it, allow me to kind of outline and and set the stage for the plot and some of the characters that will play a role in um, us understanding the themes of faith in this film. And if you're making plans to watch it, please know that some of the action violence in the film may not be appropriate for all ages or families. The world that the, the setting um, of the, this movie Black Panther is very similar to our own world, except that thousands of years ago, a meteorite containing the metal called vibranium strikes Africa. It wasn't long that the five tribes that surrounded the strike zone in Africa realized that vibranium carries some very special powers. In fact, one warrior from one of those tribes actually ingested a type of herb that had been affected by vibranium. And as a result, he gained some superhuman powers and he was the very first Black Panther warrior. He was able to unite four of those five tribes, all but the Jabari tribe, um, to become the nation of Wakanda. And over the following centuries, Wakanda uses that vibranium resource to build infrastructure, to build um, healthcare in amazing and miraculous ways. Vibranium powers everything that they do. Soon enough, they become the most technologically advanced nation in history. But they keep themselves isolated. They keep themselves disguised as a third-world nation, hiding their treasure from the world so that nobody can come and ruin and destroy or take over the good thing that they have going for them in their society. Now, the plot for the film revolves around the inner conflict of the Wakandan people as they try to figure out how to reach out to the rest of the world to share their vibranium resource resource, or to keep it hidden like they have since the very beginning. And this conflict is exacerbated as a Wakandan-American nicknamed Killmonger attempts to infiltrate Wakanda, to take over the government and use the vibranium as a resource for a violent uprising all over the world the present day black panther whose name is t'challa and he's actually also the president or the king of wakanda he has to make a decision to enlist the help of the outside world to restore the kingdom to prevent the devastating plan of the killmonger in a nutshell in the throes of the conflict of the story t'challa the black panther needs to decide whether to out his nation's secret to the world or to lead wakanda to handle the crisis on its own just like they have year after year in its history And so I think that we kind of face this same type of conflict in our faith. We have been given an unbelievable treasure, and yet there's so much fear in reaching out to the other with that treasure. The people of Wakanda know that the comfort of their livelihood might actually break down as soon as other nations learn about the powers of vibranium that they're mining. They'll need to be wary and protect themselves from nations who wish to take their territories, steal the vibranium, or to take advantage of the Wakandan people in order to gain access to that vibranium. While the stakes that we experience when faced with the opportunity of outreach don't seem as obviously negative, we still allow the risk of losing our comfort to fully influence our decisions, even though there can be so much fruit the opposite way. While it's true that the decision to open themselves could present some difficulty for the Wakandan people, the power that they have in their technology built from their vibranium stores could have an unbelievably positive effect on the world. From communications, to technology, to miraculous healthcare advancements, one of the characters in the film actually has his shattered vertebrae completely healed overnight, which is a type of healthcare that I'm particularly interested in as I'm facing getting my wisdom teeth out this week. Um, That would make that process a lot easier for me. Um, But the people of the world could truly be blessed by this treasure that Wakanda holds so dear to itself. Jumping back a bit, the idea of finding or having treasure is just something that is um, so attractive to us. There are tons of movies like Indiana Jones or National Treasure that are built on the idea of a treasure hunt. There's shows like Antiques Roadshow that um, kind of capitalize on the hope that we all have in in having something that we own cost millions. One of my favorite treasure stories is the the story of the Panaguriste treasure found in Bulgaria. In 1949, three brothers, um, their names are Pavel, Petko, and Mikhail, were working at a tile factory, presuming, presumably mining materials for their jobs. And as they were mining there, they happened to cross nine skillfully crafted 24-karat gold vessels. While the value of these vessels isn't widely reported, we can get a sense of um, how much they, they cost, because at all times— These vessels remain locked up in the Bulgarian national safe. And it's only intricate copies that get sent out across the world to spend time in museums. Can you imagine the feeling when those brothers discovered this treasure? Unbelievable. Just from the the regular rhythm of their work, they uncover something that has been hidden for thousands of years. In his ministry, Jesus touched on that reaction to finding treasure. In Matthew 13, there are two short parables that Jesus shares to give his followers an idea of what it looks like when you find an important treasure. It's a short passage, so listen as I uh, read through it or follow along in your Bibles from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything, and bought it. Back in Jesus' day, it was commonplace for people to literally bury their savings in the ground to keep it safe. As the banking system was not yet well developed or even trusted, The idea of finding buried buried treasure was much more than just a pirate story. In fact, it was probably commonplace and it was uh, an actual possibility, and people had heard stories of of others in their community happening across this type of buried treasure. And pearls were uh, well known to be one of the most sought-after stones in the area. Speaking about finding one of great value would have instantly drawn the listeners onto a familiar image and brought them deeper into the meaning of Jesus' parable. These parables that we're reading have three main purposes that we need to notice and and take away. The first is to understand the joy of the discovery for these individuals. The people in these stories recognize that what they have found is life-changing. And the excitement of what life might be like in possession of that treasure or that pearl builds up in them immediately upon finding it. They know that this new discovery, once it becomes theirs to keep, can have profound impact in their lives. The second purpose is for us to realize the willingness that these individuals have to give up everything to make that treasure fully theirs. We don't see them cutting corners to obtain the items. There's no theft involved, but instead these people go above and beyond to sell everything they have to honestly purchase the item they found. There is a type of selling or, or letting go that needs to take place to complete the buying and, the, and obtaining of those items. And finally, the third is the variety of characters that Jesus brings into these stories. The first is a man who found the treasure in the field. He was likely a hired farmhand, so to speak. He was probably of the lower class and found odd jobs to piece an income together, while on the other hand, the pearl merchant was likely a wealthy man. Selling pearls for a living was a lucrative business in that day, and it was not out of the question to assume that the man that Jesus was describing in the second story was on the complete opposite side of the socioeconomic scale to the first man. And yet, even though both have such completely different lives, Their stories, their reactions, their actions are very similar. In these parables, Jesus is describing what it might look like for us to discover the kingdom of heaven. A treasure so great that we might be compelled to do everything it takes to receive it. Now in John's first letter, we get an amazing picture of the treasure that we have in front of us. As well as a guide for how to accept it fully. But before we read that passage together, let's understand the setting that John was writing in. Firstly, John was writing in a time where Christianity was really no longer the new, shiny, exciting thing. This letter dates towards the end of the first century when Christian persecution was no longer widespread and there was much less less fervent passion in believers as generations have passed since the days that Jesus walked the earth. People were frankly no longer as excited about this new way of life And we're now in danger of complacency and allowing other philosophies to influence their theology. The main threat to the church at that time came from within. People no longer felt strongly to persevere in faith uh, or to maintain a sound theology among the society that promoted Gnosticism, political philosophy, and other non-Christian belief structures. So we can see that the context for this passage is similar to that of Black Panther and our world today. The only real threat to Wakanda was also from the inside. Killmonger, a Wakandan himself, believed that his nation needed to spread its resources into the world, but he was seeking to expose Wakanda for evil. In our context today, we see the same issues at play general complacency among believers, an increasing lack of solid theological belief amongst the midst of uh, influences of other religions, philosophies, politics that influence theology as opposed to the other way around, ego-driven faith, you name it, the list goes on. While there's certainly Christian persecution present in in various countries in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, the main threat to our Christian context here in the western suburbs of Chicago is, well, it's often us. The main threat that I face in my faith and my day-to-day is me and my own comfort. In fact, there's a, there's a moment in Black Panther where the enemy, Killmonger, is explaining himself to the Wakandan leaders, and he's actually blaming them for a lot of the poverty across the world. Even though his intentions are evil, there is a lot of truth to the words that he says. He tells them this, you all are sitting up here comfortable, must be nice. There are two billion people in the world who look just like us and their lives are a lot harder. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. And this is what John is speaking to when he writes this first letter. In, terms, in, in the times of internal crisis, which by the way are often the least crisis feeling crises, We need to remember that God is and who God is and what that means for those of us who claim to follow him. And that reminder and instruction can be found in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Please follow along as as I read this for us today. Dear friends, John says, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how we know that we live in in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent us, sent this Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen for whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the treasure that's available to us. This unbelievable, life-changing love is the pearl of great value. What does it look like for us to give up everything to fully accept that? We read a couple truths in this passage that can help us understand, one, who God is, two, how we can more fully accept his gift for us, and three, how through that acceptance we can mitigate that inside threat that we experience in our faith. Firstly, God is love. John writes it that explicitly, in fact, in verses 8 and 16. God is love. Love has its origin in God. And because of this, God and love are inseparable. God is a perfect picture of love, and love always points back to God. This is an explanation for every aspect of the Christian faith. Creation, free will, providence, redemption, life everlasting. Because of God's love for us, we have been created as beings of his love. Because of his love, we have been given the opportunity to choose to love him. In his love, we are not only created, but we are, he is constantly caring for us, constantly engaging in relationship with each of us. Out of his love for us, like verse 9 reads, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And finally, because of love, God invites us to be with him forever, not just in the time that we have here. Secondly, the passage instructs us very simply how to fully accept God's gift for us right off the bat in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Because God is love, in order to fully accept the treasure that's offered to us, we have to love others. We need to embody the loving spirit of God that is within us in a way that our actions and relationships actually offer that love to others. We cannot really understand love until we've been offering it to others. In verse 12, we read, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete in us when we love one another. Because God and love are inseparable, our response to his love must be love for the other. We experience the fullness of God's love for us when we, in turn, love those around us. The very end of the film, after the credits, in fact, we see T'Challa addressing the UN Assembly, and he's alerting them of Wakanda's decision to open themselves to the rest of the world, to extend love, so to speak, to the rest of the world. In his address, he shares the following quote. In times of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build barriers. This quote comes after his mindset and his people's mindset was changed from being focused on isolation and self-preservation to becoming more focused on loving the other. You see, this is what John is telling the reader in his letter when we can truly lean into who God is and allow his love to influence our actions and relationships to love those around us, we can begin to eliminate that inside threat to our faith. When we're being fully loved by fully loving others, we become aligned with Christ and we can let our ego, our fear, and our discomfort get out of his way so that he can use us for his purposes. The problem is, We often let those things stop us from fully loving others. Instead of building bridges of love to others, we fortify the barriers of ego, of fear, of discomfort, fill in the blank. In our workplaces, there may be people who you'd rather not engage with each day because they can be pretty difficult. How many of us have ducked down an aisle at the supermarket because we see that neighbor that's a little bit too chatty for us? Some of us may have family members or friends that are hurting spiritually or emotionally, but it's so much easier to ignore that instead of having a conversation with them to to talk to them about what they're experiencing. These are just simple examples, but there are so many places in our daily lives where we know where I allow barriers to prevent bridges of love getting built towards the other. With those barriers in place, we're frankly not fully obtaining the treasure that is in front of us, the treasure that God wants us to grasp. Just like in the parables for earlier, there needs to be a desire or action of selling or letting go in order to live into the treasure. I want to be careful with my words here because by no account do I want to communicate that we can buy into God's love or that we can somehow earn into the kingdom of heaven. We are totally and completely undeserving of the love of God, and that is why His grace is so powerful for us. What I do want to share, though, is because we are so used to our ego and our fears, moving past them to fully love others can and will feel like sacrifice. It will feel like something that we have to let go or to sell. When the merchant sold everything he had for the pearl of great value, it was to illustrate that we need to do everything we can to experience the fullness of God's love. Even if that means sacrifice or life change or discomfort, in order to experience the fullness of that amazing love, we must shed anything, any attitude, any bias, any preconception, anything that will prevent us from loving others and extending bridges to them. One of the things that we are finding in student ministry here at Christ Church is that our young people here cling to the tangible nature of the ancient Christian spiritual practices and disciplines. And so when we get to this point in the message, we outline a specific practice that can help us move toward our goal. Today, I want to challenge us to practice true hospitality. Amos Young is an author and professor, and he shares so many great words about the importance of hospitality and loving others in his book, Hospitality and the Other. Coming from our contacts at Christ Church with the Great Commission printed on the foundation, his mission, um, his words on mission and hospitality are profound. Young says the following, Christian mission or missio dei is the embodiment of divine hospitality that loves strangers to the point of giving up our lives on behalf of others to be reconciled to them, that they might in return be reconciled to God. The practice of hospitality allows us avenues to love people that they might experience the full love of God themselves. Yang also shares that the posture of Christian hospitality is stranger-centered. How can we start to gain eyes to see the other so that we can reach out and offer love to them more easily and frequently? One of the ways that Yang suggests that we practice stranger-centered hospitality is by regularly being a host for or a guest of the other. This can be as formal as inviting people into your home or being a guest in theirs, but it can also be practiced in the way that we engage with others as we pass, that we pass by in our regular routines of life. One of the most profound and, and um, best examples of hospitality that I've seen in the in The last little bit was just a week and a half ago on our um, junior and senior Baja mission trip in Tijuana, Mexico. We were there to build houses, but the the thing that I got out most of it was the hospitality of the Mexican people that we were serving with, that we were passing by. Even the people in the neighborhoods that were walking on the streets as our 15 passenger vans drove by, they would always be warm and welcoming, extending a a wave of a hand or an hola, como estas? But just that warmth that we received from the Mexican people while we were there was was amazing. Just a true testament to the power of hospitality. And so when we can serve and we can humble ourselves to be served by the people in our lives that we typically put barriers in front of, Christ's love is on full display for everyone to grow in. The relationships built, the experience of God shared, and the love of God experienced from hospitality Eliminates barriers in relationships and promotes the amazing, amazing treasure of God's love in a very powerful way. There's a story of an American seminary student who once visited Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And so inspired by Mother Teresa's work, the student shared with her that she planned to enter a medical school so that she too could minister to and treat lepers overseas. Thinking that this would be warmly received by Mother Teresa, the student was quite taken aback by the response that she received. Why do you want to do that? There's poverty in your country that is just as severe as our poorest of the poor. The student looked confused, and Mother Teresa continued. In the West, there is a loneliness, which I call the leprosy of the West. In many ways, it is worse than our poor in Calcutta. Friends, you see, because of our tendency to insulate ourselves from others, we are creating incredible loneliness in our society. This loneliness and isolation can be abated by a people who truly give and receive the love of Jesus Christ with one another. John doesn't passively suggest that we should love one another. He knows that it's a fundamental piece of the kingdom of heaven. Back to the movie, in the height of the conflict, T'Challa realizes that extending bridges of love to those around him would be the only way to truly save his people. Humbly reaching out to the formerly outcast Jabari tribe, T'Challa is able to regain control of Wakanda from Killmonger for the good of the Wakandans and also the good of the world. After that experience and everything that he learned through that, T'Challa starts to open the doors of Wakanda even wider setting up healthcare centers all across the world where strangers could experience the power of the treasure of Wakanda. God knows that his love is fully realized in us when we love others, and that is his call for us. In times of crisis where fear keeps us from moving forward in loving relationship with others, we need to remember and act on the words of John that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When we struggle to love others, we only experience a fraction of God's love. How can we sacrifice our comfort to model love for others that God might use us to shower his love on the other? God's desire is that all can experience his love to the fullest. And so as a church, let's strive to extend love to the neighbor, to the coworker, to the stranger, to the other so that God can bring others closer to him. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of your great love. We are humbled by your grace. God, it is out of that humility today that we come before you and say, there are so many ways that we are struggling to love others. God, we know in that struggle we can't fully accept the love that you're offering. Lord, and so we pray that we can start to take steps to let go of our fear, to let go of our ego, to let go of our discomfort so that we can live into fully loving the other so that we can receive your full and abundant love. God, we ask for your guidance, your strength, your help through this. Lord, we love you, and we ask that we could fully receive the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.